Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Calibre. This week, we're discussing the challenges faced by the UK equity market and why investors should keep a keen eye on the market in 2024. I'm Josh Murphy. Today, I've been joined by Alexandra Jackson, manager of the Rathbone UK Opportunities Fund. Hi, Alexandra. How are you? Hi, Josh. Very well today. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Great to have you. Alexandra, October saw the worst performance of the year for the FTSE 250. We've obviously had a, a bit of a rebound since then, but it's it's still generally been quite a tough period. What's been happening recently that has caused all this pain? Yeah, good question. I'm glad you noted the rebound as well. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're very happy about that. Yeah. I mean, October often is a bad month in equity markets, sort of seasonally. September and October seem to be quite tough. Uh, and this year, you know, October has really sort of cemented its reputation as being a difficult market. As always, it's a combination of a couple of things that I think we've seen, you know, coming together at once. We've got the awful situation in the Middle East. There was no progress in October. You know that's going to weigh that's going to weigh quite heavily on sentiment. Um, the other big thing was uh, bond yields kept moving higher around. I think concerns about um, the U.S. government's fiscal position, which was making people a little bit nervous, uh, and that led to I guess the term premium uh, r- rising. Uh, and so we saw bond yields keep moving higher. That's quite a difficult. Si- backdrop for equities to perform against. And then the other thing was that we were in the third quarter results season. Uh, and I would say that they were a little bit underwhelming, perhaps. Um, investors had to think about and remember, you know, what it looks like when we see a little bit of a growth slowdown, you know, when we see interest rates, the impact of interest rate hikes starting to, to bite. Um, you know, we can see from some of our companies, um, there are a few signs, I think, coming out that, you know, consumers are pulling back a little bit on spending. And we also had a couple of companies talking about corporates taking a little bit longer to make their decisions. So again, you know, it's very case by case. There's, you know, lots of good, lots of not so good, lots of in the middle. Um, but those three things together, I think, really weighed on on equities during October. Certainly makes sense. Um, are your companies feeling the pressure of these high interest costs now? How is that affecting what you hold? Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, some are definitely, uh, some aren't. Um, you know, what we what we've sort of talked about earlier in the year was we really didn't want to see those companies that, you know, have hard won operating profit growth. You know, they've got higher revenues, higher um prices maybe, and they're, you know, keeping control of their cost base. But that higher operating profit is being eaten away by higher interest costs. You know, that's really frustrating. Uh, and we have seen a few of those in this fund. Fewer, I think, than the market as a whole, because we focus on quality, and one of those, you know, kind of classic quality factors is around the balance sheet. Um, so more than half of the positions in this fund carry net cash on the balance sheet, which is, um, you know, a nice position to be in. And then actually, if you exclude financials and property, we have nothing that's over has over two times net debt. Uh, to EBITDA leverage ratio. And in fact, only 13% of the fund has net debt to EBITDA over 1.5 times. And we really don't want to, you know, we don't want to kind of change that at this point in the cycle. We're really happy about that. The other point obviously is not just the that kind of single number. It's also the structure of the debt, um, whether it's fixed or floating. That's been the most important thing. Obviously, it's only those floating um, the floating debt that will be subject to these higher rates um, and when the refinances come. So that's important to look at as well and takes a bit more time. 
And then, as I said, you know, that's the kind of direct impact, but then you've got that indirect impact, which is, you know, essentially what central banks are trying to do with higher rates, which is to dampen demand a little bit. Um, and that's what the central banks, you know, they really want to see that, that companies are, um, you know, maybe making more cautious decisions. And I guess looking more broadly, what is UK investor sentiment and valuations like at the moment? It's a mixed picture. It's quite hard to get a definitive answer, I would say. There's some definitely some conflicting evidence at the moment. So the Bank of America Merrill Lynch Fund Manager Survey recently in November put the UK uh, as the at the bottom of its list. Um, and that kind of, you know, that reflects the mood that I hear at conferences and things like that. People do feel quite depressed, I would say. Um, but then, and you know, and I look at um, flows in the industry or outflows, as we should probably call them now, um, which are continuing. Um, and actually, you know, probably possibly, um, you know, not 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 improving yet. Um, and then I look kind of beneath the outflows. So we are still in net outflow um, as a as an industry from UK equities, but actually it's it's UK wealth managers who seem to be doing the majority of the selling still. Those I guess are the people who are overweight UK equities still, um, and that is being. Um, offset, not totally, obviously, but a little bit by US investors who are coming in to kind of cherry pick some assets. And that's really, really interesting to me. And a little bit, um, you know, that's a, that gives me um, some comfort, some hope, definitely. You know, the global investors that I talk to, they're quite confused why UK assets are still so cheap, particularly the ones with growth and cash flow and, you know, those kind of factors that when you see those in the states, those are the companies that you know trade on 25, 30 times. Um, so it's a it's a mixed picture, definitely. Um, still some depressed sentiment out there, um, but there's so much opportunity. You know, I'm sure we'll get onto valuations and things. Um, you know, that's that's the sort of the flip side of it. And you hold right moves, uh, which many of our listeners may will be familiar with. Are people still looking to move houses? And I believe that they've seen some competition in this space recently. Is, is that a threat going forwards? Yeah, that, that's right, Joss. So um, the housing market is a great sort of bellwether and indicator for the, the health of the U UK market, isn't it? And, and, and we're all very interested in it. Um, but so for right move, actually, a very timely question there. Um, November trading statement is out this week, and they've actually talked about a rebound in new build home segment since July. So that's very fresh update. Um, and Rightmove talking about seeing an improvement in demand for new build homes since July. Um, I don't hear that being talked about in the media. I don't see a lot of coverage of this. Um, so yes, I think people still are looking to, to move home. Um, what we saw was that even during the great financial crisis, when banks, you know, they just weren't writing mortgages at all, we saw uh, 800,000 transactions, property transactions go through in the UK. So that feels like a pretty good base level, you know, a minimum level of, of property transactions that you'd see in a, in a year. And Rightmove will say that that's down to those perennial D's, debt, death, uh, and divorce that just gives that minimum level of property transactions. Um, we're not a million miles off that now. But for Rightmove, I guess in terms of the investment case for Rightmove specifically, it's important to remember that they actually don't get paid on the price of the houses that are being sold or even transaction levels. They get paid by estate agents who pay a fee to right move um, per agency branch. So 
it's only when agents actually go bust that Rightmove starts having a problem. And now, you know, since the great financial crisis, many, many more estate agent branches will do lettings now. So that kind of smooths their income a little bit. It's, you know, it's not as volatile as um, as housing transactions. It's not as linked to uh, sentiment. And, you know, as we all know, the, the lettings market is still very busy. So the agents look a bit more robust. So that, I think, you know, is a good place for Rightmove to, to start. Um, but it's important not to assume that Rightmove needs a really strong property market in order to for the stock to work. Actually, estate agents are more uh, beholden to Rightmove. They need Rightmove even more when the market is a little bit difficult. Because if the market's great, actually, you know, you barely need to, uh, you know, when property is flying off the shelf, you barely need to look at them on the internet. Um, it's actually when things are a bit more difficult that you that you need right move. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned, uh, very, very important as well, is CoStar. So CoStar is a U- US listed um, uh, property portal company. They've got lots of different um, app websites in the US and Canada. And they've come in, they've decided that they will come into the UK and see what they can do here. Um, they have made an offer for the number three player in the UK residential market. It's called On The Market. Um, and they've said, CoStar, they've got a very uh, bombastic CEO, and he says he plans to spend hundreds of millions of pounds on pay-per-click advertising to try and unseat right move. And he, I think he's going to spend 50 million next year. So what you could see is if pay-per-click, you know, that kind of investment could definitely drive property hunters to the on-the-market website. Um but if once you're there, you don't find that critical mass of properties that you're looking for, that money actually is is wasted. You're not going to keep the, the customer. And importantly, how do you get the agents to move over? That's the important thing. As I said, it's it's about the estate agents wanting to pay Rightmove. Um, the CEO of Rightmove has today described the network effect of Rightmove as unassailable after 24 years. He reminds us that 85% of the total time spent on property portals in this country is spent on Rightmove alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 90% of those customers come organically. You know, they don't use pay-per-click advertising at all. So I like that word, unassailable. It does feel like a, a, a very unassailable um, business. The, the moat is very, very strong around the business. Um, and we've seen, you know, competition over the years. Google, for example, come in and have a go at Rightmove. Uh, so we'll we'll watch it, but we you know we feel we feel like Rightmove can uh, uh, can really um, leverage the strength of this model. It certainly sounds very exciting and a lot to look forward to in, in, in Rightmove's future. Yeah. Um, w- within the last quarter, you bought Ergamed, which is a company we've heard a lot about recently. Can you tell us more about them and why you you feel and the team feel that it's an attractive opportunity? Okay, Ergomed is one of those. Um, I don't really know how to feel about it yet. So we we've been looking at it for for a while, um, and then we used some weakness that we saw in the share price while people were a little bit concerned over biotech spending. So the shares were sold off. We used that to uh, to start a position. They run uh, clinical trials, for example, for big drug development companies, big pharmaceutical companies, so that the um, you know, you don't ideally want a pharmaceutical company running its own, all of its own dr- drug trials. It sort of smacks of people marking their own homework. So often they'll outsource them to someone like Ergomed. Um, there's been a lot of private equity uh, in- involvement in this industry already. And then actually um, Ergomed was bid for during <laughs> last month. Uh, 
So it was, I think it was bid for at a 30% premium to the to the previous share price. Um, we were hoping actually that an, another bidder might come out of the woodwork to push the price a little bit higher. We thought the price was okay, but um, still didn't kind of fully value the you know the forward potential for the business. We think this is such an interesting industry, uh, and clearly private equity agrees with us, and they're they're trying to um, that you know they're trying to roll up as many of these as possible. Um, but actually, the way that management had sort of structured the deal, it, it meant it meant that another bidder coming in was going to be difficult. So while it's always nice to see your your stocks you know pop thirty percent on the day, that's great. Um, I guess we still feel a little bit shortchanged um, by these bid prices, which we don't think are are high enough for these trophy assets, just because they trade on UK exchanges. This fund name is obviously UK opportunities. So let's finish with what opportunities you see in the UK today and looking forward to 2024. Why should investors be interested and excited about the UK? Yeah, it's a good question because it has been a you know it's been a rough ride over the last eighteen months or so. Um, the two hundred and fifty has performed poorly um, during that you know the 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 fastest interest rate cycle for forty years. Uh, but it stands to reason if you know if, if UK SMID was the area that got hit so badly when rates were rising, actually it stands to reason that they could be amongst the strongest to bounce back while we see the market becoming happier with the idea that interest rates have peaked and that the next move even is down. Um, and actually we see that the FTSE 250 has become really correlated with five-year swap rates. So that is quite a good indicator to watch. Um the other thing has been, you know, the economy, the sort of slightly lacklustre um, performance of the economy. But actually, in the summer, at the end of the summer, the ONS had to really re- revise their GDP numbers quite significantly in the UK, um, showing that actually the UK wasn't this sort of outlier that perhaps people thought it was, and that actually were very much within the within the pack. Um, so the fundamentals from here, I guess, they look. To me, they look okay. You know, you've got um, a nice chunk of consumer savings. The labour market is strong. Um, the macro fundamentals generally they look okay, if not spectacular. But on you know on ten and a half times, ten point four times for the market overall, we don't need spectacular. Um, all we need is for inflation to keep following this downward trajectory. And that will give, it doesn't even have to be every, you know, every month. We're not expecting it to be every month a perfect inflation report, but you know, for the zoomed out trend to be downwards. And this will give breathing room to the Bank of England and they can start cutting rates probably in Q2 next year. Um, so these low valuations, you know, we've never since um this century, we've never seen so many FTSE 250 names trading on Below on a PE of below ten times, um, and we bemoan this um, these valuations and the lack of interest. But actually, this is you know this is the key to the opportunity ahead. Uh, and as we've talked about with Ergamed, private equity, other corporate buyers, they are interested in this opportunity. They are, are swinging still for UK assets. Um, Hotel Chocolat was bid for a couple of weeks ago. Also, uh, City Pubs all, all on the same day. Uh, it shows you that. You know, long-term private money is very, very interested in the very good quality companies you can get in the UK on a, you know, on a postcode discount. Um, so going into 2024, we like names with low leverage, as we've talked about. Um, we're looking for companies that have innovation that can drive their own market share, that that secular growth, which means that 
the revenues of the business aren't wholly dependent on the business cycle. We're looking for companies that generate lots of free cash flow, and then they can use that to invest in more of this lovely organic innovation. They could buy back their shares, or they could do accretive M&A, and preferably in that in that order. Um, we definitely don't see a shortage of opportunities. Uh, I see this as a very target-rich environment. I think it's just appetite that's been missing. Alexandra, thank you very much for your time today. It's been very much appreciated. Thank you, Joss. Pleasure to talk. Rathbone UK Opportunities is a flexible fund targeting quality growth businesses that looks to take advantage of cheap UK valuations, but avoids ex-growth large cap dinosaurs. To learn more about the Rathbone UK Opportunities Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only.